0: Do you want to win some money?
1: I bet you do. Do you care about civil affairs? Yes, I know for sure because you're listening to the show. Check out the call for issue papers. The new theme is campaigning and civil affairs. Some questions to answer include how can CA contribute to campaigning? Beyond policy, what changes can better operationalize and integrate CA's role in campaigning? How would
0: CA even measure progress in campaigning? And how would a full concept of the CA role in campaigning apply to conflict prevention, security cooperation, irregular or gray zone warfare? So put that thinking cap on and submit your papers by Friday, 15 September. For more details, visit civilaffairsassoc.org.
1: Welcome to the OneCA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. OneCA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with a partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting@gmail.com, or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassos.org. I'll have those in the show notes. And a quick shout out to LC38Brand. They're offering 10% off for 1CA podcast fans. The promo code is 1CA10. LC38Brand has a little bit of everything for the international adventure. So check out their website at lc38brand.com. I'll have the promo code and the address in the show notes
0: got enthusiastic people you know best mission bright future top talent it's it's the tagline of use of and um it's it's out, it's outstanding
1: today we welcome colonel scott DeJesse, who is rebuilding the u.s army civil affairs monuments program DeJesse is an army reservist who works for the department of state in cultural diplomacy for the monuments program DeJesse is partnering with the smithsonian institute the met in new york academic institutions, and others to revitalize and develop CA teams who can work in crisis and conflict to protect a nation's cultural heritage. We brought Scott in today to talk about the Monuments Program, its tie to the Civil Affairs 38 Golf Program, and cultural diplomacy's impact on national security. So please welcome him to the show. So glad you had 30 minutes to take some time and say hi and talk a little bit about the 38 Golf Program. Yeah. I know it's not a lot of time, so talk fast and I'll just slow you down.
0: Yes, please. (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, How do we start this off here?
1: I'll do all the intros and what I'll do is just start talking to you. How about that? Yeah, great. Because the initial goal of this show was to talk about the 38 Golf Program, where it came from, how people are getting involved. And honestly, it's gotten a lot of positive response from listeners, both in civil affairs as well as outside of civil affairs Mm -hmm. on how they can partner or even join the organization. Yep. How did you see that with the vision of 38 Golf? Yeah.
0: So um, I was involved early on in 2014 when uh, the Institute for Support to Military Governance connected with proponents was working with um, Naval Postgraduate School. And they had a series of conferences, and the Naval Postgraduate School faculty had reached out to me because one of the models they were following for developing the 38-goal program was based on the monuments of World War II. Right. You know, so my background, they say, hey, we'll come and present. And so then I kind of got pulled into it further. Okay. And then, um, you know, the program really got kicked in, selecting people in 2015 but people were getting selected and then an email was sent to him. Congratulations. But then there was nothing else there. And then, uh, general Guthrie, uh, two commanding generals ago, when I got assigned to use the KPOC, he said, Hey, you're a 38 golf. I need you to fix this problem because we have nothing going on.
1: <laughs> we need some meat on that bone. <laughs> yeah. So
0: there was no meat. It was the worst of all worlds. No supply, no demand. Mm-hmm. And I basically, uh, you know, walked out of that initial meeting saying, Hey, recruit like 560, 38 Gulfs. And I I picked up the phone and called up my uh, colleague. You know, it's like a typical 38 Gulf thing. Right. I just turned to my network. And my my network uh, included uh, Corinne Wagner, who was a retired civil affairs officer. She's the director of the Smithsonian Cultural Rescue Initiative. And I said, Hey, we're going to start with rebuilding the Monument Spinner Women. Right. Um, and she's like, perfect. You know, we're going to roll out the red carpet and we're going to put the band back together and walk back into the commanding general's office. And I said, all right, here's what we have. I I have a background in advertising. So I said, I can put this on a national international stage really quickly with a partner like the Smithsonian. And it's a really cool topic. And I know the press is going to jump on board and that's what happened. Uh, So 2019 into the fall, you know, New York times jumped on it. Um, some real positive press, COVID hit, but while everybody was remote, we the initial media reaction, I've uh, got a whole bunch of potential candidates really jazzed up. And they're like, I, I think I can do something here. I want to volunteer to serve my country. And sure. you know, we had a perfect partner because they were uh, Smithsonian. They're willing to jump right in. Um, the director having military experience, and she was part of the civil affairs team that went to rescue some of the cultural property that was stolen out of the Baghdad museum in 2003. Even though COVID was happening, I I knew we had a perfect recipe for really providing a major deliverable for use of KPOC, for the army reserve and for the army, you know, a new capability.
1: Right. And it's been a good model because now that ranks are starting to fill in with economists and agriculturalists and, Monuments members, they're actually starting to make an impact. They're writing papers and get invited to conferences. And their names are getting out there into those professional communities, and they're getting pulled on more and more by state, DOD, uh, other NGOs to come out and do assessments in those skills. It's been really, it's been exciting.
0: Oh, yeah. It has, you know, talented people work in a really great mission. Yeah. That's um that's a recipe for success. The talent is very high. They're very motivated, very professional. You know, the program is not designed for everybody. It's very much innovation-driven, which, aka, means there's a lot of failure. Right. Because if you're efficient at innovation, you're efficient at failure. So being willing to get out there, try things, test things, because the 38 Gulf program is building capability. And this is really motivating the brand new 38 Gulf's right? helping build the capability. And then you have the supported organizations that are stakeholders in the problems we're trying to work through. And so it's like a brand new breath of fresh air and with high talent. And our attitude is like, well, what can we do to help our primary focus Initially, at the first go is, you know, what do the KCOMs need? What do the 38 Alphas, 38 Bravos need to be successful? The 38 Golfs are like right there behind with full support. And the idea is the supported units, what are their objectives? So there we go. 38 Golfs right behind the Alphas and Bravos pushing hard to support those supported units and really the high-end strategic and operational deliverables. That's really what we're going after. It's, it's fantastic. And um, yes, and so a lot of people are recognizing, and we now have some <laughs> supply and we have some demand. Right. So it's the it builds momentum.
1: Yeah. And the interesting thing is, what I'm seeing, talking to people in the 38 Golf program, is that there are strong teams in like the 351 for economics Whereas over at the 353, they've got a strong agricultural team. But because they don't have an even spread of skills across all of UC KPOC, they are pitching around and helping each other out. The folks that are doing the PACOM area will go to Europe and help out if needed. And also the ag folks have done stuff in Taiwan. And I haven't seen them do anything for Africa, but I, they probably have. And I'm thinking that there's going to be a lot of that kind of pickup support between the teams until the full program is robust.
0: Yeah, and I think that's going to continue on even when all the personnel are in place. Let's say we get to 100%. The thing is, because of the networks, there might be a particular country in Africa, 352, I have a full contingent, but there might be somebody in another KCOM go, I know that particular town or or city, or region, and I've worked a lot there, and, you know, they might be over the 351 or the 350 and cross-leveling it. You know, every 38 golf and every soldier has a shelf life, so you're constantly recruiting for this. The recruiting never ends, and it's also cross-leveling talent and information. Right. People say, oh, we want to avoid siloing. The problem is so great that we have soda straws in the silos. Yeah. So we're trying to break through those soda straws, to break through the silos, to share all the way across the board, because it, it's really got to be open dialogue, and where can we help, and some hidden talent. I'm speaking to soldiers all the time that, that are like NCOs, that have like amazing backgrounds i'm like where are you what company what civil affairs battalion are you with it's like oh my goodness just recently the past couple of days like two soldiers that are mind-blowingly amazing with advanced degrees and foreign language capabilities and expertise uh they're they're all over right and then saying well where do you put them you put them at 353 it's like but they got all the experience with Indo comp so you know they're strategic they're global a lot of the work they do i mean my my civilian job is, you know, I'm with the State Department. I do a lot of cultural diplomacy, and it's, it's in the Pacific, it's in the Western Hemisphere, it's in Europe. So, can't really pigeonhole me on where I fit in the world. Then you can't do that with a lot of 38 Gulfs.
1: Right. So, do you think K-pop should have more of a national structure to manage that type of talent?
0: Yeah, there has to be some look from K-pop there's a, there's a dialogue and there's some sharing and I'll, I'll come up with a crazy idea. And, you know, I'm saying, Hey, can, you know, we're what's going on with the K comms? Can, can we get the support with 38 golfs? And they're, they're quickly to offer the thing we're in right now is that a lot of the 38 golfs are being used. And so their 80 days are being used. And so when a crazy idea comes up, it's hard to find a 38 golf. That's a really good place to be though, because sure. they're being employed.
1: Yeah. It's much better than being, you know, under strength and cut away.
0: Yeah. And um, and the thing is, we told these 38 Gulfs, prepare to get challenged and prepare to get employed. And that's what we want. You know, and this with any soldier that shows up to a civil affairs unit, they want to be doing stuff that's of quality. And that's specifically required, uh, recruited the 38 Gulfs on that promise.
1: I mean, most CA people want to make a difference. Absolutely, they come from a background of wanting to launch out there and do something.
0: Yeah, and and the, and the thing is, I like you know the connections across the alphas, the bravos, and the Gulfs is actually that interconnection, inspiration. That like, how can we help each other out, and everybody like collectively gets energized. We had a group from the three hundred and fifty three at the center of the study for civil military operations at West Point, the four hundred and third Civil Affairs Battalion, and. Alphas and Bravos were looking at new geospatial technology and we had a bunch of 38 goals together and it was great, you know, getting their perspective and the products were being created, just fantastic. So it was pretty exciting.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to circle back to personnel and talent management, but I, I wish there was a way to where people could say, I need someone with this skill and this focus and they can get onto a CA database of some type and it pops up a name you know, George Michael, and that guy gets shipped off if he's available to go help with that mission. That's the one thing that I've heard resonance with in other uh, conversations.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, in the civilian world, we see advertisements all the time about resource management, like, you know, how can you find talent? how You, you know, where can you pull them from? The thing is, you can't replace the dialogue. Sure. There can be systems and methods and processes put in place, but really talking to each other. And that's, that's where KPOC headquarters comes in. But the KCOMs are having dialogue with each other. I think it's just the intent of the program is to share information, share expertise, and show what capabilities we can offer the force. That motivation has, has to stay there. There's no magic AI right now that's going to solve that problem. Uh, requires people talking, and but that inspires though the trying to figure out where we can put people. Also, with our partners like University of Wisconsin, Texas A and M, Fresno State, University of Notre Dame, Smithsonian, the Water Council, you know Rice University. We're having this collaborative conversation. It's like actually, it's it's enabling us more. So it's a positive. Yes. Trying to turn a negative into a positive there. So, but it's the idea is it's so hard to track. But we actually can turn it into a, a real strong positive for the program. And it's working so far.
1: And you brought up something interesting, and that is all the collaboration with universities and the agencies and partners. W- what have you seen with that? Because it seems like a lot of people are getting excited and getting involved because civil affairs goes to the places that most times these folks can't reach. Because it's either in a heavy conflict or it's under tensions or restrictions that make it impossible for a regular paleontologist to go check out a site. But civil affairs seems to be able to, because they're military, get access. Is that what you're seeing at, that is attracting these partners? Well, there's
0: two parts here. The first is the collaboration and the partnership. Sure. What makes a strong partnership is You both see the same level of uh, urgency against the problem. The second part is, are you willing to apply resources? If it's only one or the other, if it's just like, oh, yeah, we see that the same problem, but we're not going to give resources, you know the partnership's not going to be there quality-wise. We're finding that with our partners that we have MOU agreements with. Also, a lot of these MOU partners, Smithsonian, Texas A&M, University of Notre Dame, I also think Fresno State, a few others, that they have actually gone to the places we've gone. They've been involved with agriculture development teams. Okay. Uh, University of Notre Dame has business on the front lines. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are like, hey, we have our boots in our closet. We're ready to go with you. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) And they're eager. And the Smithsonian team goes to like, you know, they respond to the Haiti earthquake, the Nepal earthquake. They're working closely with our Ukraine and what's going on there. Like, They are very much global, and we're finding their networks are extremely strong in the places that we would like to go and doing security cooperation with.
1: Okay. I wonder, what is it then that um, attracts them to us?
0: Well, I think they they do want to help serve their country. Sure. I, I think that the nature of the civil affairs mission is exciting, that we Are people focused and, you know, how can we support communities that are suffering from instability and war? It's the nature of our mission that, that they see like, wow, you know, some initial conversations, like we didn't realize for those that weren't familiar with the military, like, wow, we didn't realize that the military does this kind of work, civil affairs work. And when they find out, like, you guys are like the Peace Corps kind of with guns. Right. (laughs) But they are excited to be involved and they see the problems are really that there's a huge sense of urgency. These are extremely complex problems that they're trying to research and figure out. They also see that there are certain things that they're missing that we offer them because we've got to answer to, uh, you know, operational commanders that are concerned about a whole series of problems, not just a silo problem. So it's kind of like, how, how does their little world, you know, respectively affect a wider audience? And that's what we're introducing them to a wider audience, you know, like things like why, what they're doing matters to strategic competition. Sure. You know, and it's vice versa. We learn from them. They learn
1: from us. Sure. And it's good access to both sides, which helps. Yeah,
0: it really is. It really is the information they have. And then they kind of get to see, you know, kind of the, of course, we're not sharing classified information with them, but it's just like the general, you know, open source information, how our method, our methodology, our civil affairs methodology, how we're employing that and, and our mindset. And we're kind of learning perspectives from each other.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that it probably does is show them that, like you said, the military has more dynamics than just what's promoted on the recruiting ads. And by you know sharing that with academia, with the commercial sector, it broadens their perception of who we are and the roles we play.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They 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 get to see a little bit of a bigger world, um, you know, because we are we're everywhere, so to speak, right? You know, we, we have all the different AORs. Yeah. And they they see that we We're put in certain situations that we can't control. We're not selective. You know, wherever wherever our civilian leadership tells us to go, that's where we go. So we've got to face the challenge. We can't selectively pick places that are convenient. That also intrigues them, too. Right. Because how do you solve the problems and you're forced into these situations? and. You know, also the idea of solving problems or trying to address problems or identify problems with really limited resources. We don't have a massive amount of resources, as most people think. And they're like, wow, we didn't realize how how tough it is to manage people and manage missions.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's difficult to manage people and missions. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. do you have any examples that you'd like to share of where you did cultural diplomacy and it fed into civil affairs? Anything interesting in that avenue? Any good I was there stories?
0: Well, I mean, so with cultural diplomacy, the part I work is is uh, sending artists out actually um, uh, out to their like, exchanges and embassy requests things. Um, you know, say, hey, we want to do a cultural program, you know, here. Uh, I remember those. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and and they'll they'll, they'll request these things, and it's called the Arts Envoy Program. We're finding, you know, so I get to see, like, oh, well, there's Southcom missions going on. You know, Southcom's trying to affect, you know, they have their lines of effort, and then you have State Department coming in and doing their programs and everything. Well, then we also have our competitors coming in. Sure. What we're finding is that our competitors are leading with cultural heritage. Interesting it's the first thing before they actually do strictly diplomatic or economic efforts they lead with an MOU to do cultural programming and then they'll go all right well let's do some diplomatic or military security or economic agreement
1: hmm. they must have learned from the mercy and some of our other programs where we did door openers where we went out and yes had soft power exchanges and then it led into more formal trade and commerce and security agreements
0: right and you know the united states has been doing cultural diplomacy for a long time but our competitors are getting really good at it so then you know you throw that over the top like how our civil affairs missions are very similar sure and yeah it's 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 their direct connection and we're like directly engaged and that's where the strategic competition you know most people like oh cultural heritage i'm like no (laughs) that's actually a big that's a your lead for strategic competition right and military planners um military leadership senior leadership some of them know but a lot of them don't because when we see you know especially with my skill identifier 6 vector heritage preservation they're like yeah we'll take the economists and we'll we'll take the infrastructure and we'll take the energy people and the water people but we don't really need cultural heritage thing it's like yeah. you, you know they don't realize like no this is what our competitors are, are doing and this is how they're influencing but the thing is even though my skill identifier is cultural heritage, it's just a lens I use to look at civil military operations, civil affairs operations. It's I, When communicating with the other six vectors, I'm like, listen, we're not just here for museums and cultural property. You know, Part of it's the 1954 Hague Convention, Protection of Cultural Property and Armed Conflict. It's actually, once again, some support, 38 alphas, 38 bravos, active and reserve components. We're just we're offering a different lens, a different perspective to see how the operational environment is happening and what our competitors are doing. Sure, we don't just sit in our own little silo. It's actually to reflect more and and, and, and offer a different perspective to our supported units.
1: Right, and that's the civil affairs way is to be out there. So that's right. That's that's right.
0: Um, so and it's the same thing when I'm you know talking to an energy person or infrastructure person. It's like, hey, it's the lens, right? And also, across the, the 18 jobs of, uh, you know, so it's not just the KCOMs to share information. It's across the 18 uh, skill identifiers that if someone's going to do a governance thing, they should look towards me. If I'm doing a heritage and preservation thing, I should look to someone in economics and rule of law and also border security. You know, sure. it, there's, I, I look across, I never just like, well, I know who the six vector talent is, but I'm also looking across all the other skill identifiers. And once we're all synced in together, the magic starts happening. Right. I mean, it really, really is a, it. that's a collaboration onto itself. Hmm. And that's the best thing, you know, that whole government approach, it's got to be a whole of 38 Gulf. Whole of 38 Alpha and Bravo approach, too.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I was just reading an article. Congressman Issa just was partnered on a bill calling for more interagency cooperation with countering gray zone competition. Yeah. And it's very possible that the reserves is going to be one of those key factors because you have people from all the agencies in in the reserves and then civil affairs being more of an active component of the interagency could help at least open up that that concept
0: it is it is and, and you know and the 38 gulf 6 victor program the heritage preservation the new monuments men and women have really led the way in this piece and granted because you know i've, I've been pushing hard but that the idea is that we um we are automatically connected relating to cultural heritage protection with State Department, Department of Justice, Homeland Security, Department of Interior, USAID, with several agencies because of the requirement of the 1954 head convention. So we invite them in often for our conversations and training. We have our Army Monuments Officer Training that's going to take place at the Smithsonian again and all those interagency partners are going to be there and we're going to be focusing on a Eastern European focus and challenging them along with us. Hey, look at this problem, you know, together, collectively. And we're really following through on that piece of whole of government. You have to have them included um, in the process. You can't all of a sudden develop that when you, you know, you're deploying. So we're practicing that that all the time.
1: Sure. You know, speaking of the August training, I've been quietly uh, building up some press interest in that event. We've got uh you probably know we got the Globe and New York Times, uh military, the military.com folks are interested as well. Yep. I've been I've been working with their their uh press chief. We're trying not to make it a crazy media circus, but uh it does deserve some visibility and promoted. So it should be good.
0: Yeah, it will be really good. It's going to be um, different from last year. There is going to be really strong collaborations that have been developed that I can't really share. Yeah. <laughs> so stay tuned. And we have some of the new 38 Golfs that have joined. They're going to be showing up for the training for the first time. We have our international partners that are going to show up, you know, a couple from Europe that are going to be joining us in the training. Um, and it's going to be really, really fantastic. And the Smithsonian, once again, is going to do their part. And we're, we're really excited.
1: That's terrific. So is there any last thoughts about the 38 Golf program that you want to, want to say?
0: Well, it's just the, the same as the original pitch. Um, you know, bringing talented people together. It's a great job. And it's every day I talk to a 38 Golf. It's a great conversation. And they usually go on for like an hour and a half. Like there's no ten minute call with the thirty-eight golf. I'm finding those that are interested in the program. And so it's extremely excited. We've got enthusiastic people, you know, best mission, bright future, top talent. It's it's the tagline of use of K pop and um it's it's out it's outstanding. So, you know, happy to get the story out, have you know, this great story to tell. Well
1: that's fantastic. I appreciate it. That's that'll really uh, close the show well. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And thank you again to LC38 brand for offering 10% off to our listeners. We've been nominated for the People's Choice Awards, and this is a little extra treat for those who made it happen. Again, the code is 1CA10 and the site is lc38brand.com. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host. Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.